politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our liberties. Once again, this is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, back in the house, Blaze Media, CR Podcast. It is Wednesday, March 9th, and we are looking for a new, innovative way to fight. When you look late in the night, 2.30 a.m., Mitch McConnell works with Chuck Schumer, Republicans and Democrats, at a time when we have literally people losing their jobs for a clot shot. We have people that are damaged by the shots for life. They poisoned us. They lied to us. They locked us down. They destroyed our lives. They blocked treatment. They are getting us into an unnecessary war. Open borders beyond belief. Now we have a Project Veritas video showing that the political class understood January 6th was all a lie. We have people still sitting in jail without bail because of that. Yet not a single Grievance is redressed in the bill. No more drilling, no nothing with this omnibus bill. Not a single provision that protects you and me. $14 billion more for Ukraine, another $10.6 billion for Pfizer and Moderna. Republicans signed off on all of that, and they're all happy with themselves. Take a listen to Mitch McConnell. Well, let me start by saying if I were the majority leader, we'd be on the Ukraine supplemental right now. It's been challenging uh, to get our Democratic colleagues to do what I believe the Ukrainians uh, need at this particular point. But where we've ended up is at $14 billion. Um, In order to get to $14 billion, we actually had to uh, prevent House Democrats from blocking loan guarantees to help Eastern uh, NATO allies uh, buy American aircraft with their own money, which shouldn't have been a problem. The House Democrats tried to cut the own uh, the administration's request for security assistance by $300 million. In other words, it's been like pulling teeth uh, to get out of House Democrats, what the Ukrainians obviously need at this particular time. Um, And we've been slow, much too slow. But the package, I gather, will be coming over from the House attached to the Omni. I think it's an important step. It needs to be passed, and it needs to be passed quickly. You hear that? We have to deliver for the Ukrainian people. You and I mean nothing to this man. And you mean to tell me this is what we're all hoping for with the election. No, we need to break out of that paradigm. We need to stop this. If we're just going to do nothing more than elect Republicans, it's nonsense. And I have this idea of putting up independent candidates where it's appropriate and where it will work to still win in primaries. We're going to focus on that. We're going to have later today a very special guest, someone who did successfully win a primary in a very important part of the country. 
but it needs to be a new message with a new strategy and a new movement that understands what time it is and understands the challenges of the time. You know, the one thing Republicans made sure to do when they increased spending by 12%, HHS is now getting $109 billion in discretionary spending, um, you know, billions more for NIH, CDC, FDA, all the corruption. Oh, the new programs, you can't fund abortion. That's all they care about. It's a false, it, it's just such a false flag. So we're going to get into all that, where we're headed with both on the Vax Ukraine and primary elections or general elections as well. Speaking of breaking out of the paradigm, we need to do that economically too as it comes to investments. Masterworks allows you to invest in something very different like blue chip art. Assets like blue chip art, money is fake, inflation's at record highs, stocks are volatile, it's crazy, we have more interest rates coming out. So what do they do? They allow you, now typically this was just for wealthy people, how do you buy a famous painting or something worth $100,000, $500,000? No, this allows you to invest in it just like you invest in a stock. Um, art has a low correlation to the stock market, and blue chip art prices outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% for the past 25 years. So diversify with art is not a new concept, but it's more needed than ever. Um, my uh, my producer, Chris, just got a painting, uh, uh, not even get the painting, but invested in a Picasso painting. Um this alternative investment platform lets you buy shares representing an investment in multi-million dollar paintings. Join over 330,000 members. Get priority access to Masterworks with my unique link. That's masterworks.art slash conservative. Masterworks.art slash conservatives. Conservative. See. Wait, no. Masterworks.art slash conservative review. Okay, this one's different than all my other promo codes. Masterworks.art slash conservative review. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. So, folks, this bill funds everything under the sun. 2,700-page bill dropped in the morning, and they're going to vote on it today in the House. The leverage is in the Senate. Republicans have the ability to block it, but they won't because they already agreed to it. This is how our government is. We need a revolution. Okay, there, there, there is no way to fix this. Um, you know, certainly not at the federal level. So let's start off today with Ukraine. And not because I want to talk about Ukraine, but Ukraine is the new COVID, while the old COVID is still going on. At a hearing on Tuesday, in response to a question from Senator Marco Rubio, Victoria Newland. She is the Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs. She admitted what we all know. Take a listen. Well, um, I only have a minute left. Let me ask you, um, does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can 
prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda groups are already putting out there all kinds of information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or, uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. Did you hear that? They have biolabs there. So what was deemed a conspiracy theory is now true. So basically there's a three-pronged strategy in Ukraine. They basically goaded Putin into it for three things. One, to distract from the COVID genocide. Number two, because evidently this has been a playground for Western oligarch corruption. And one of the spheres of that is... Um, these bio labs. I mean, think about that. We know that it was created in a lab. We know that we had United States gain of function research behind it. We know it's killed so many people. And nobody in the Republican Party, before giving away billions of dollars to Ukraine, is asking, how many labs do we have? What are they doing there? What's the purpose? None of these Republicans are interested. She said, research materials. What are these research materials? And then obviously there's the third element, which I mentioned last week. The new COVID fascism is the Green New Deal to cut off fossil fuels. And now Biden let the cat out of the bag yesterday. He said it blatantly. The crisis is a stark reminder that to protect our economy over the long term, we have to become energy independent. It should motivate us to accelerate the transition to clean energy. That's the new vaccine. They're pushing and forcing you. They want you to feel the pain. You have to sacrifice. And that's why they juiced it up with this unnatural indulgence orgy, a social media orgy over Ukraine. It didn't make any sense. It wasn't coming from the Ukrainian people. It was coming from the Western oligarchs. Biden economic advisor Brian Deese, quote, the only viable path to energy independence is to reduce fossil fuel use to zero. Zero, that's a direct quote. That's where this is headed. We always knew this. Over at the Last Refuge, it's a website, they make this point. During a U.S. Department of Energy roundtable on February 28th, okay, so this was uh, just uh, two weeks ago, launching the Biden administration's Better Climate Challenge initiative, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm explained the core of the Biden energy policy. Underneath all the blocks to oil and gas development is the larger objective to transition away from fossil fuels to green, the Green New Deal. $10 of, per gallon gasoline is a feature. It is part of the plan. They're, they're telling you this. Rising electricity rates and massive increases in home heating and cooling costs are part of the plan. The downstream impacts on of inflation inside the entire U.S. economy are structural issues to be managed. The financial pain to the U.S. citizen is the biggest problem they need to manage. Within the transition process, the administration needs something they can point to as a false justification. 
That's where the Ukraine-Russia conflict serves their current interests. The Biden team need Americans to blame something or someone else as they execute this policy. First it was COVID. Now it's Vladimir Putin. All of this is being done on purpose, and I agree with them wholeheartedly. And yet even Freedom Caucus Republicans are buying into this wholeheartedly. And, and I think now they're starting to realize, oh, this was a ruse. But once again, just like they did with January 6th, with George Floyd and with COVID, it's too late. And that's where we are. This was all premeditated. It's part of the same paradigm. And these, But these Republicans are utter trash. Utter trash. Did you know that, um, I'm sure some of you saw this, Matt Schlapp, he is the head of the American Conservative Union, that's CPAC. He randomly tweets out a few days ago, no matter what one thinks of Leah's ability to swim... Her, it's, it's a he, and his name is not Leah. That's the guy swimming and breaking all these records in women's sports. Swimming. No matter what one thinks of Leah's ability to swim with women, her story deserves our compassion. It will be interesting to hear Leah's point of view in 30 years. What in the world? That is your phony conservative movement for you. Phony conservative movement for you. It's only on this show you're going to get that 2020 vision on what really is going on, what we need to do about it. Now, first, you got to actually see with your eyes 2020. That's why we recommend Go Specs lenses from Rodenstock. They use an advanced algorithm for more than a million patients measuring 7,000 points in the eye. Um, my wife and I have our pair of Go Specs lenses. Uh, Rodenstock is certainly the expert opticians. They are really the gold standard with over 500 patents for eyeglasses. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. You don't have to leave your house and wear a mask. Um, and Better Spectacles, they're not an online company. It, uh, it's just that they, they offer this opportunity to do this online if you don't want to go in person. They're offering my audience an introductory 61% off their Go Specs lenses plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. Just visit betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So, folks, I want to talk about just a little bit more of what we're seeing from Republicans. Wyoming, 28 to 2 majority in the Senate, 51 to 7 in the House. University of Wyoming sent out a letter someone just sent to me. Listen to this. We are happy to report that a budget amendment targeting University of Wyoming gender studies approved by a one-vote margin in the Wyoming Senate, but not approved by the House, has been rejected by the legislature's joint conference committee on the budget. So they agreed to take it out. Instead, the committee adopted a budget footnote requiring the university to report broadly on the impact of our general education requirements. The footnote is part of the overall budget bill that the House and Senate each approved this morning and now goes to the governor for his review and approval. We continue to question whether the new footnote is germane to the budget bill and are closely monitoring the legislative process. If the revised measure is approved by the governor, we see this as an opportunity for important dialogue with legislators and the public about what a good university general studies program should include. Um... The gender and women's studies program will continue to be an important part of the rich tapestry of the academic programs at the University of Wyoming. The Senate budget amendment, while unfortunate, has stimulated an important discussion in which we will participate to further the best interests of Wyoming and its university. So look at this garbage, folks. This is freaking Wyoming, and they're celebrating that we couldn't even get a cut to their gender studies 
This is Wyoming. If you had the Democrats in charge, people would rebel at this and throw them out and get rid of this. People refuse to understand how you can go negative. It's like the Pfizer shots. The Republican Party is antibody-dependent disease enhancement. It's negative efficacy. It's subversive. They accomplish for the left what the left can't accomplish. This is what people don't realize. Stop it with this business of, I like the Republicans. It's not going to work. It's going to be an all-of-the-above approach. It's going to be a movement focus. It's going to be focused local, local, local primaries, and, and also general elections running as Indy on a new platform that has a broader appeal but actually more speaks to the issues of our time than just waving the broad conservative flag, you know, which, which is really meaningless now. Are we going to continue doing this? By the way, I, back to Ukraine, I, I forgot to mention Dr. Andrew Hill. He's the whistleblower that worked with Peter Daszak at EcoHealth. He, he made it clear. He said that Metabiota, M-E-T-A-B-I-O-T-A, is linked to these Ukrainian labs run by the United States intelligence community. They actually signed this strategic agreement with InQtel a few years ago. Metabiota was a major USAID predict and EcoHealth Alliance partner. Um, EcoHealth Alliance and InQtel worked together. And just remember, Dazic is believed to be a CIA agent. So it all comes together there. Ukraine has allowed them to commit this genocide in plain sight. Like I said, there's nothing we could release about the shots that will will break it out in, into the news. It just won't. Listen to this from the CEO of Bayer, right? They make aspirin and different products, pharmaceutical company, Stefan Ulrich. Listen to what he had to say. It's one of these World Health Forums he openly discussed, he laughed about how they hoodwinked the public on gene therapy. Kudos to my friend Gato Malo on his Substack for pointing this out. Um, take a listen to this clip. Therefore, uh, we're really taking that leap, uh, us as a company buyer, uh, in cell and gene therapy, which to me is one of these examples where really we're going to make a difference, hopefully, uh, moving forward. There's some, uh, ultimately, the, uh, the mRNA vaccines uh, are an example for that uh, cell and gene therapy. I always like to say, if we had surveyed two years ago uh, in the public, would you be willing to take a, a gene, th gene or cell therapy and inject it into your body, we would have probably had a 95% refusal rate. I think uh, this pandemic has also opened many people's eyes to, to innovation in the way that uh, was maybe not possible before okay so here here he admits it was gene therapy they would have never approved it people the public would have never gone for it like so what and now this is the new future genocide we are lab rats and they're open about it and somehow this is not news now you understand why they needed they absolutely needed ukraine to get this done okay Here's another thing I'm going to point out to you. I forgot to mention, I meant to mention yesterday. This is from the Orange County Public Schools. Suddenly they put up out of nowhere a new notice. 
new for the 2021-2022 school year. Electrocardiogram screenings are now required. They have in bold letters required for high school students wishing to participate in athletic programs. Um, Electrocardiogram screenings help identify athletes who are at risk of for sudden cardiac arrest, which is the leading cause of death in athletes. Um, and they talk about where to go find it, where to fill out a form. Why are they suddenly doing that? Well, folks, if you look at Open Vares, they they do a good job at um, cataloging the reports and the data. Just for the first two months of this year, we're at already at forty percent the level of myocarditis, pericarditis uh, reportings of the entirety of 2021. Now, I don't have the data in front of me, but January, February, there were very few vaccines, especially among younger people, right? Maybe you had a few residual seniors getting boosters, but you know it's, it's pretty much ground to a halt in terms of new vaccines. I mean, a couple people here and there are still roped into mandates where they weren't already before, how is it that the rate of reporting is so much higher now? Okay? Now, it could be more people are on to VAERS, aware of it, reporting. But it could also be that the amount of myocarditis that we had reported at the beginning of the vaccination was just the tip of the iceberg. And those were people that usually are more like athletic. They're more... These people where if they have latent heart inflammation, it's going to come out much quicker. But if let's say you have someone who's not so active, it's not that it wasn't there last year. It's that increasingly in recent months, it's taking longer to come to the forefront, to bubble over where they notice it, start getting chest pain, start going to a doctor, getting a diagnosis, and now that's happening. So whatever rate we had, like one in 5,000 among you know teenage males, young 20 males, I bet you it's going to come out. It's a lot more common than that when this is all said and done. Edward Dowd, we had him on the show Friday. He points out excess death rate by age using CDC's own data. He He's going to release a document eventually, but he's posting one chart a day from a life insurance analyst. But he's using all CDC data. If you, if you create a baseline of expected deaths based on five-year averages, you look at August 2021 through December 2021. Excess deaths. Okay? Now, you, now that was the Delta wave, so you are going to have COVID deaths. Definitely created excess. But you would expect the highest degree of excess would be the older you get, if that's COVID. 75 to 84-year-olds, 26% above the baseline. Percentage of, you know, above the percentage of expected deaths. You go to 65 to 74, it's 38. 45 to 64, it's 34, higher. And then you go to 25 to 44-year-olds, 55% above the baseline. I don't, again, I don't have an explanation 
for why it's more younger people, if that's the cardio issues that affect younger people more than older. I'm not sure why, but it's hard to imagine it's not the shots. Because what else would it be? So, again, this is excess mortality chart prepared by someone who used to be the number one ranked institutional investor insurance industry analyst. He can't put that out, but these people are coming out of the shadows. It was CDC's own data stratified by age, worked off of a 2015 to 2019 baseline to create um, the excess death uh, percentages. CDC could have created it from their own data, but they did not. Why not? Because they can get away with it. Another story here. Nine of ten deaths in Santa Cruz County were among the jabbed, the injected. Santa Cruz County, California. It's from Mercury News. Nine of ten deaths recently were jabbed. Again, that's why they needed a fourth booster. By the way, Pfizer is submitting for a fourth booster, and that's all being funded by the GOP in the omnibus bill. But the point is, they needed Ukraine to distract from that. Now, one more story before we get to our guest. Queen Mary University of London researchers, they now have a preprint on ResearchGate. Official mortality data for England reveals systematic undercounting of deaths occurring within the first two weeks of COVID-19 vaccination. And I don't have time to get into this, but if you basically read what they write, they go through the UK data and they say, if you account for the fraud that they have on those first two weeks, there's no evidence of any um, vaccine efficacy. Any Anyone who's using it is using fraudulent data. And in fact, you see a massive spike in deaths within those first two weeks, which we've known already. And none of this is of concern to Republicans. None of this. None of this matters. Steve Kirsch did a great job summarizing as a post, 10 things you should know about the new Pfizer documents. So, you know, the new Pfizer documents that were released. Um, and he goes through each one. And I'm just going to read the bullet points. And he actually goes through all the different documents, where to find it. But it, it doesn't matter. It's out in plain sight. It doesn't matter. It's all out in plain sight. Pfizer claimed reported repeatedly in their documents to the FDA that their vaccine would prevent COVID-19. So it's not just severe illness. They they lied about that. Pfizer knew the injection, injections adverse effects would increase with more injections of continuing boosters. Pfizer knew their injections did not stay in the injection site. Pfizer knew that the vaccinated group reported far more systemic adverse events in the placebo group. Pfizer knew <coughs> that the efficacy of the vaccine waned very quickly over time by as much as 50% in as little as a month after the second dose. Pfizer def- defended VAERS because they didn't want extra reporting cost burden. So now they're like, VAERS is trash. But if you look at the documents, they actually played up VAERS because it's already existing. And that way they wouldn't have to create a new reporting system. So suddenly now it's trash. But um, they knew it was actually good. Um, I'm just going to quote to you from a document Again, it's all posted at phmpt.org. 
It's titled Waiver Request for FDA Designation Suffix for Biologics, March 2020. It's a four-page document, and this is from page three. Um, Pfizer believes that an additional suffix for COVID-19 mRNA vaccine would be burdensome and redundant as the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has existing methods to ensure safe dispensing and optimal pharmacovigilance uh, of vaccines. These methods include existing vaccination record keeping practices and vaccine safety and monitoring systems. Um, uh, and... These methods, they're referring to theirs, ensure robust adverse event reporting, monitoring, and tracking of vaccine administration. These methods combined are robust and support the fact that the addition of a suffix would not be necessary for vaccines. Um, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act would require healthcare professionals to provide vaccine information statement to patients. And in other words, they're saying as well as, well as report adverse events to theirs. So they're like, we have theirs, we're good. Now we point to theirs like, theirs is garbage, you can't trust that. <laughs> so that's another interesting tidbit. Kudos to Steve for finding that. Um, Pfizer paid $2.8 million in their application to the FDA. Obviously there are f f uh, 1,448 pages comprising 9,704 individual subjects who are excluded from the trials. There isn't enough detail to know why. And finally, he points out it's troubling that Pfizer redacts information that is not propriety, proprietary that would be very helpful in assessing the data, such as the number of doses administered in the adverse events of special interest document. They don't give you a denominator. Very interesting there. So what do we do about this? Where do we go? We're creating this trucker medical movement, doctors, truckers, running. Um, again, where it's appropriate in a primary, do it in a primary. Where it's running Indian in general, if it makes sense, do it then. This is what we need to build this movement to keep the focus on the corruption of Western oligarchs, on the issues that matter at the time they matter and the way they matter. And that leads me to our next guest. So guys, our next guest really intersects with so many of the narratives we've been building really the last week, the last few months. And that's, we need a new movement. We need a new movement to replace this old, failed, antiquated, pseudo-conservative, whatever that even means, phony Republican Party movement that not just effectively represents conservatives, but at the same time actually has a broader appeal. That's number one. Number two, we got to focus local. If we've learned anything the last two years, it's all these county executives and mayors have been tyrants and they have all this power. So, you know, federal, we already talked about that today with Mitch McConnell and the Republicans with the omnibus bill. That ain't changing. You got to focus it local. You got to focus where we are and you got to focus where it matters and you know what? Not only will you wind up having conservative representation, whether it's running as an independent, you know, in a general, whether it's running in a primary, but you'll also have a broader appeal to other voters that we're losing. Now, a lot of us were devastated last week when the establishment won big in Texas in almost every race. And what are we going to do? How are we going to make Texas independent? 
We don't really have a horse to ride. But if you look locally, Dallas is one of the most important cities. Now, Dallas, you figure it's lost, right? Well, there's Dallas City, there's Dallas County. Over the years, there's been this trend. Even in red state, in, in red states, the cities are just as bad as in blue states. Okay, we're, we're losing them. And it's not just big cities like Dallas and Houston, but even the smaller ones. Think Boise, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Nashville. And then the last, I'd say, five to eight years were really bleeding even in the suburbs of those cities. So what is that going to relegate us to just the most rural counties just in the reddest states? Well, with us today is an unbelievable story about a candidate persevering in a primary where we can't even succeed in electing those that represent the people in the reddest of, of areas. But she is running for county judge in Dallas County, really the most important part of Texas, because this is where we've been bleeding voters for so long that Dallas County has gone south on us for a while. Dallas County was home to Clay Jenkins. I'm sure you've seen stories from him. He was one of the most notorious COVID fascists during the entire pan pandemic, he made Dallas County as bad as San Francisco, Baltimore, New York, anywhere you could imagine. And you would think the people would be ripe for change. The Republican establishment put up a candidate to run against the COVID fascist. Guess what his position was? COVID fascism. Wear a mask. Uh, you know, um, lockdown. Have the kids wear a mask. Did not fundamentally disagree with this, this uh, incumbent, Clay Jenkins, at all. But Lauren Davis, she's a mother of three school-age kids, just an average mother. Uh, together with her husband, she owns a chain of barber shops, so she's a small business owner. She also has a, a fund supporting veterans and homeless. Um, she has a, a 501c3 nonprofit named Operation Gentleman. So humanitarian, mother, small business owner, she figured, well, no one's running to represent us. This is kind of the way we feel. We're disenfranchised. Uh, all the bad guys are on the same side in the oligarchy. So in this case, she did run in the Republican primary. And the guy had all the, her opponent, Ed Flores, had all the backing of the establishment. And by the way, he has degrees in microbiology and molecular immunology. So you'd think he would have all the clout on this issue. And she beat him with 68% and is now... Uh, going to go to the general election with Clay Jenkins. How in the world did she do that? So I figured I got to get this story from her to give us some sort of hope. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us today to share your story. Gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Okay, so I mean, straight up, could you give our audience a sense of how you did this? Everywhere else we run candidates, the establishment gets their guy. They win every time. You can't break into the system as an outsider. Um, and you won two to one overwhelmingly. And you you ran exclusively almost on medical freedom, parent parental choice, you know, what's going on in the public schools, masking the kids. And your opponent was a scientist and a doctor. How did you pull that off? Yeah, um, yeah. I was told uh, from the beginning this is going to be a miracle, and I said, "Well, great. You know, I'm an American. I'm an entrepreneur, and I love challenges. And I think 
step one to getting to where we we got in this race um, was not listening to the establishment party. So I know a lot of people who wanted to run for Dallas County judge and they went up to the local GOP office and were told, no, no, you don't, you don't qualify or you're not exactly what we're looking for. Um, we already kind of picked our guy, which was, which was my, you know, Dallas IC school board trustee opponent. Um, and when I went to apply, they tried to tell me the same thing. And I just simply didn't listen. You know, I was passionate about taking a stand, staying and fighting. And like you mentioned in the opening, that where else are we going to go? And I, I felt that my family has felt that burned deep inside of us. Where else are we going to go? We went and looked around. Briscoe is a really great suburb here. You can go all the way up to Prosper, which is far, and you're getting into farmland. And they are experiencing the same problems. And we looked at each other and we thought, there is nowhere else to go. So when I walked in to file my application and I was met with people telling me I didn't qualify and you can't run, I just said, I'm an American and this is my constitutional right and I will run whether you like it or not. So that was step one. There's a lot of people who listened and, you know, I'm a rebel. I don't listen to people who don't abide by the Constitution. That's step one. And it was uh, disheartening to know that it was our party. Um, that did that. And then two, I truly believe that hard work still wins out. Ingenuity still wins out. The entrepreneurial spirit of Americans is still winning. In the establishment, in this elite ruling class, that isn't for anybody on either side, right? There's not for the people. Want us to believe. They want us to believe these lies. That, you know, that they've got it all, this illusion of, of a democratic republic. And we won. We won from sheer hard work, from being unconventional, right? We leveraged technology and text messaging and outreach. I had three and four meet and greet the day. I just went directly to the people. So where my opponent, opponent went to the establishment and to the, you know, and to the typical, you know, path, I said, I'm going straight to the people. And I started talking to mothers. I started talking to fathers. I showed up at all these different um, groups, like in Richardson ISD, similar to South Lake, um, Carroll ISD, organizing parent packs to take back their schools. I just went straight to the people. And when you do that, which most politicians these days don't, we will win. We have to play a different game and, um, and destroy the mold, uh, this, this artificial mold that's been built around this system. So one of the big problems a lot of people like you run across, and I see this all the time, is money. Money is a huge barrier, especially if you're running yeah. in a expensive place like Dallas. It's not a far-flung county. You need money to run, to be successful, to get that name ID, to beat the establishment. Um, how in the world does an outsider break into that and, and get enough money to even run a campaign like that? Sure. Yeah, we we used our I would say we used our business savvy. So we own a, a chain of barbershops, you know, across the nation, but we started here locally. And so we just dove right into our network. Um, we've been entrepreneurs for the last 13 years since we were 25 years old. And we've never really had to ask for too many favors um, or call on people. 
But what we did was live our life with integrity, always, you know, working in our businesses with integrity. And so when, when the calls came, people stepped up, people who had been with this, whether it was money that they donated or just um, accessing their resources. You know, we built our own website and we had someone who's worked with us do do the coding of the website, right? So we went through our business network and looked at, okay, what resources do we have? What can we leverage? What can we deploy out? And so we just used that entrepreneurial spirit of it's not no, but how. Um, we don't operate in the world of I can't do this and I can't do that. We just say, how can we get it done? So we just went out and said, do you have $10? Do you have $100? So we had, you know, some of our personal friends, you know, step up pretty big. We had to put a little of our money in, but we pieced it together and we had a firm belief that it could be done. And we set a concrete goal of $250,000, which we're not quite there yet. So we're still working, you know, working to finish raising, but we raised enough to launch a really great campaign. And it was just getting out there and asking and having the belief that it could be done. Um, I think in our world, we're underestimating um, the power of, of the good old, you know, little engine that could story. It still exists. And the establishment and the ruling class wants us to believe it. It doesn't, but it does and exists for all of us. Well, my hat's off to you because I've lost almost every primary where I've backed candidates and it's so hard to break through. So it looks like you really had a good plan logistically, harnessing a network, going more towards, you know, finding these mothers who are disenchanted of you know with school children, uh, getting a horrible education and then having to wear a mask all day, whereas your opponent went the traditional route, the kind of chamber of commerce type of clubs. Um and you're saying it paid off. What were the issues, the issues that you felt drove this? Sure. Yeah, I think one of the the overall themes and issues that people um, really resonated with was the non-politician. Um, they, they are tired of the everyday plastic, you know, Ken Barbie politician. You know, someone who gets up there and looks, looks great and just kind of dazzles you with with all these words and sound bites and kind of gives you this illusion that they're qualified because they can spout off a few numbers this and that those days are over and people wanted to get up and they wanted to see someone who represented them who looked like them um, who talked like them and and really just spoke truth and said I don't know when I don't know and so, so many times people were just craving from me out on the trail. Give me your top three points. What are your top three points? And I said, I hear that you want that because that's what you're used to hearing. But this isn't, we're in different times. I'm not going to sit up here and give you empty promises and these little stump speeches that are so common in the political realm. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a framework of how I think and how I operate and how I make decisions. Because what we know is that play, I'm, and Clay Jenkins did not know COVID was coming, presumably, right? So what we needed to know about our leader is his framework for making decisions. So we know when things come across the desk that are not anticipated, we can feel comfort in how our leader is going to lead during those times. And I don't think, you know, we talk about that enough um, in campaigning and require that from our leaders. So I went ahead and prompted those questions and talked about that. And that mm. resonated. In other words, you're making a terrific point. Um, 
a lot of people, we've done this forever. Where do you stand on marriage? Where do you stand on life? Where do you stand on gods? Where do you stand on the border? Where and the problem is, life is more dynamic than that. And most of the time, it doesn't play out that way. Well, where do you stand on COVID fascism? Are you going to put diapers on our kids' faces? Well, we could have envisioned that. And all these conservative Republicans that are pro-life and pro-gun, they all went along with that. And now they're all going along with the Democrat Ukraine stuff. And whatever the next hotness is, they're going to stand for it preemptively. We could just say whatever social media says you should care about, they're going to care about it at the time that you should care about it and the way you should care about it at the expense of every other issue. Um, but you're relating to them. And you obviously related a lot on the on the school issue, the school issue, yes. the COVID fascism. Describe a little bit the climate in Dallas County with with medical freedom and what was going on and how you tapped into that. Yeah, we we tapped into that, and it was through one thing um, on both fronts, the business and the school, through lived experience. So our businesses were shut down. We were barbershop owners. We were deemed non-essential. And so we were taken to zero like the average American was um, in the service industry uh, while we had to sit there and watch Home Depot and Lowe's and liquor stores stay open. So that was one. And then two was the school issue. So in, in Dallas County and then Dallas um, Independent School District specifically where my kids were, we were brought to our line at the start of the school year when the superintendent, Michael Hinojosa, defied Governor Abbott's ban on mandates and decided to, all the way into this pandemic, still mandate masks at the beginning of the school year. And we said as a family, we've had enough you're stripping our parental rights away, among many other things like critical race theory and the diversity, equity, inclusion, and all the things we know are terrible in school where they're completely negating the parental rights um, up for us to raise our own families. They brought us to the line right there. And so we took a stand. My kids, both of my kids have medical issues. My son survived multiple open heart surgeries. My daughters had multiple surgeries for mus muscular issues. And we weren't going to mask them eight hours a day. We said enough was enough. And so when they went on the first day of school, they were the only two out of 604 kids. And the high level of it, because we'd be here all day if I told you every piece, was they took my 11-year-old daughter and put her behind cones in PE class. The one class that a fifth-grade girl is supposed to be and boys are supposed to be so excited about, they stuck her behind cones while she watched all the other kids play. And kids came up to her and called her a Karen. And there was no teacher intervention. Wait, a Karen and is then, someone who doesn't wear it? I'm so confused. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah you're a Karen because, yeah, exactly. It's just all turned upside down. So she she was sitting there crying and no teacher intervention. And then when that didn't break the will of my children and our family, the district made a coordinated effort with the school administration to take, remove my kids and my children from their classroom education, build a plexiglass cage around them in a small portion of the library on full display for everyone to see and remove their education. No art, no PE, no music. They couldn't even access the cafeteria like all the other kids. So the fascism was at an all-time high right here in the heart of Texas. And our family experienced that. And so when I've been out talking and, and speaking to moms, I mean, they're in tears. Maybe they didn't experience the extreme that that our family did, but they experienced something like it or they're connecting. And so I think that's that's, you know, something that changed my race is that through my lived experience with the business shutdowns plus 
are fighting and standing up, we've connected because we are in a time where the average American wants somebody who will fight, not who are going to give them talking points and who are just going to make them feel good. They want to know that their person representing them has a solid backbone that's built on integrity. And I, I would speak and people would resonate to this. When I negotiate with my personal integrity in an office, what I'm doing is negotiating with your integrity, the American people, and that's messing with our constitution. And we should no longer accept that ever for any reason. It's inexcusable. And so if we can't have have politicians that come in there and represent us and hold the line on integrity for themselves in this country, then they have to go. And people, they agree. They're constitutionalists. They just want my basic freedoms. It's the most basic human right. So taking this to the general election, obviously you're going after an incumbent. This is a Democrat area. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the votes. 123,000 voted in the Dem primary, 76,000 voted in the Republican primary. So you're going to have a registration gap there. You're really going to have to win over um, a lot of people. Um, Mm -hmm. What what are you going to do different or is it going to be more of the same? Sure. I, you know, you know, nothing with me in this campaign is, is more of the same. And, and what we do different is we go directly to the voter most and the, in the community, even the ones not voting, because they have friends that will talk and, and that will vote. And I think that people underestimate just going right out into the community and connecting. I mean, the, the establishment has made this political, you know, air quotes game seem difficult and complicated and you have to have this degree and that degree you know you just need to have basic skill set of connecting with people and committing to be their voice Um, people feel misrepresented they don't feel heard even if we don't agree on every issue what we can agree on is that you will be heard and maybe we'll disagree about how to get it done but we disagree with what needs to be done right homeless issues safety all of the basic issues that we have in, in our big metropolitan areas, we all agree on. It's just how to get there. And, and government has silenced people, even to the local school board level. We have Dallas ISD school board trustee, Justin Marshall in district two, who instructed during our fight with the kids, who instructed the superintendent and leadership at the school to request that the IT department block our emails. And they agreed to block our emails through the IT department at the district. So even at the most basic local level as our school board, they don't want our voice. And so I think just getting out there and being the voice, because this position, Dallas County Judge, is not political. It really doesn't cross some of these divisive issues. And we keep allowing people to bring the national conversation into the local level, and it's dividing us at our most basic fundamental parts of government, where it should be neighbor serving neighbor, and we have to reject that narrative. I'm here to serve my Dallas County neighbors, and it doesn't interact with some of these national issues. And we have to stop letting it politicize things like uh, opportunity and having a voice and just having a well-run um, county. So I, I think that's where, where we do everything different. Sure. And obviously, you know, Clay has a lot of name ID. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of backing. Um, so this is going to be a fight. It is going to be a good year. It is a good climate to run in. Yeah. That's for sure. 
Um, but that's why this is so important because we got to win this back, and it's not going to be with you know everyone knows you're you're a conservative, you're a Christian, but your whole package, your persona, your you know when you talk about your kids, what happened to them, it's a different sort of story that actually more directly speaks to. Um, what people want, especially at a local level, rather than just ticking off on your fingers kind of the, the typical issues, and then most Republicans don't even stand behind them anyway. Um, this is yeah. the way you actually reach across without compromising your values. My question is, as a county judge, which again, for people that aren't from Texas, that's essentially a county uh, executive, it's not a judicial position, it's just called judge, it's, it's like the, the mayor of the county, so that, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. what sort of changes do you think you can make on the, the public health, fascism, medical freedom? You know, obviously at a state level we have in Texas, uh, the Texas, uh, health department is in my view, indistinguishable from California and New York. It's not like Florida where they're actually, whoa, whoa, there's some caution here with the shots. Um, they're not promoting them anymore and they're downright advocating against them for kids. They're promoting early treatment they're downright going after businesses that require uh, mandates, whereas in Texas, the Department of Health is doing the opposite. Um, Greg Abbott always said, there's nothing I can do about Clay Jenkins. There's nothing I can do about these people. So could we use it to our, our benefit if you were to get in? All right. So then locally, we're going to do what we want the other way. Do you feel – do you have an agenda to come in and change the way the Dallas County Department of Health does business? Yes, yeah, I'm I'm forming up that plan, and I think where where it starts, and specifically on this COVID issue, along with whatever right that comes next, because we all know there's something always next. They're they're yep. going to keep us in this state of emergency as long as we allow them to. And um, you know, I'm going to be calling for third party audit of these COVID numbers. I think the truth needs to be told. Um, that's you know step one. Uh, looking at how they restricted access. And information to all, all capital, all potential ways to fight COVID. I had experiences with my mother and my nephew that they had vastly different outcomes, both with massive comorbidities. One got monoclonal antibodies. One ended up on remdesivir and a vent in the hospital. And mm. you can guess which one passed. My, my nephew. Wow. And, and so I, I know for, and my mother had severe COPD and she got COVID in the flu at the same time. And she got high doses of vitamins and monoclonal antibodies, and she was better in three days. So in this day and age, we shouldn't have a disparity in outcome like that with equal severe comorbidities. That tells me that, you know, there's a, a, restrict, a restriction of information that should have never been allowed. I think that's completely immoral. As, as, health, as a health department and a leader of a county, you provide and build the biggest toolbox for your citizens that can possibly be built. And then you push out that information and you allow people to make choices for themselves and be self-reliant at every turn. We should have never restricted information or treatment or, or preventative. And their focus was their vaccination and their mask and not preventing hospitalization. And there was many ways to prevent hospitalization. Two years into this pandemic, when we know obesity is one of the number one comorbidities that causes um, death as an outcome, we should be the healthiest nation on the planet. 
That should that should not. have been the new mask. But of course, it wasn't. Vitamin D should have been, and obviously, all of the therapeutics. We talked about this yesterday. There's so many more that people haven't even heard of because they were stifled. Um, so that's certainly and something. Losing their yep. their medical license. I've talked to so many doctors who are scared to speak out because um, their their medical license is threatened. Our whole yep. world has gone underground, and this is completely immoral. It needs and to be done at a local level, and that's the thing. If we're not going to have leadership from the state level, and certainly not from the feds, they're 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 the problem here. Right. So that's where I think you'll have this opportunity. A very important county in Texas, both politically, um, policy wise, um, when it as it relates to education, how mm-hmm. much leverage do you think you'll have to deal with this fundamental problem that? It seems like the mask issue, as horrific as it was, it brought out this broader problem that has been festering in the schools that that the oligarchy, the school board members, the superintendents, and unfortunately, I would say it does trickle down to a certain number of teachers as well. It's just become an institution and often just a means of pushing their cultural and political ideas they don't care about proper education. We have kids that are way behind because of the lockdowns, because of the psychosis, the masking. Um, and then, you know, obviously the the just anti-American, anti-family curriculum. That's kind of the 800-pound gorilla at a local level. How are you going to deal with that in the public school setting? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the most unused, uh, you know, parts of, of being a leader um, across county government and local government is using your voice. So although some of the school board things don't fall right under the county government job, I'm not one to say, well, that's not in my job description. I have a platform and I'm a leader who sets the tone for the entire county and which trickles down to the ISDs. And so I think, you you know, I, I go in and I speak out on these issues because what what is the underlying issue and that is going across all government is that there is an elitist mindset that believes they know better than the parent. So the, so Clay Jenkins knows better than the parent on masking and vaccination. You know, the school board feels the same way. It's the same profile of, of failed leadership that says, I go in, I identify the problem and I'm going to let you know how I'm going to fix it. I'm not going to include you in the conversation because I know better. And we cannot replace Government does not replace the parent or the center of the family unit, and that's what they're trying to do. They're feeding our kids, they're parenting our kids, they're managing their social emotional learning, and uh, you know, checking on how they feel each day, and bringing everything in house. So they're stripping through the guise of convenience or the notion that parents just don't know, or just because someone's maybe living in poverty makes them less able to be a parent is you know, is a disgusting notion and used to replace the core of the family. And if we really want to heal our country and go to the most basic local level government, that is our family unit. And when the government comes in and does for the family what they can do for themselves, they are breaking the family apart and then therefore breaks our communities apart, breaks our schools, our school boards, and so on. So we need to get back to the most basic level, which is our family unit. And how do we come together and bring our faith back together? And then we will start to heal. It's not going to happen overnight. 
Um, but if nobody's talking about it in that manner, it will never happen. It will never happen. And I love your point. I always say you're not just a vote. If you're a mayor or a governor or a legislator or county council, you're a voice, a voice. And mm-hmm. we don't have it. It's we got to go on the outside. It's always the outside. Okay, there's a Pierre Corey. There's a Peter McCullough. There's a Ryan Cole. But where's the elected guy? So, you know, we do have now in Florida, we have the Florida governor and the Florida governor and the Florida governor, and we can't really find anyone else. And this is the problem. And we were hoping we'd get the Texas governor because that would kind of be nice. Biggest allegedly red state. But you know what? If we can't get that, let's get the biggest cities or counties at least. And I think this opportunity is tremendous. The year is right. The time is ripe. The issue is ripe. And I believe the candidate is ripe. It's davisfordallas.com, folks. I've never really plugged a local race like this, but you could see why this has national implications. One of the most important cities in the country, in the red, in the most important red state. Um, this is really important. A new type of candidate, a new type of message. You know, typically when we have these nuanced candidates, they're like, okay, really they're leftists, but they're kind of you know shrouding their language. But no, this is the same. You know, people that share our values, but it's just it's not worth leading with. I'm pro-life. I'm pro-gun. I'm pro-lower taxes. I'm for border security. I mean, it just. It doesn't speak to what's going on. They don't fulfill that anyway. And then you just kind of, you know, close the door on certain voters we could possibly get. Uh, where could our voters follow you, our, our listeners follow you? Um, and we have a lot of listeners in Texas. Yes. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is still my one from when I was just a mom. I want to keep it. And it's at moms love freedom. And then my Instagram is. Davis underscore the number four underscore Dallas underscore judge. So Davis for Dallas judge on Instagram. And then all of that's linked on my website, Davis, the number four Dallas.com. So it's going to, it's going to take everyone. I think the entire country is invested in this race because of exactly the point you made. It's got national implications and we are going to break the mold on the local politics. And I just want to, you know, leave the listeners with a message that, do not let the establishment tell you you are not qualified. That's what they try to do to me. And I won and won big. We are qualified because we are Americans. And you have talents that you don't even know if you don't use them. And so don't be scared. Don't listen to them. You do what's in your gut and what you feel right doing. And go beyond the school board because we're not taking our country back by just taking the school board. We need to take every local, county, government seat back and then we will start seeing our national stage change because that's where people gain their experience keep it local and that's really where it matters i mean if if you if you make a sanctuary for rights for fundamental rights where you are um you know that's that's where it should be Uh, again we wish you luck we could could have all our effort going into electing people like mitch mcconnell and focus on mitch mcconnell becoming majority leader yay or we could focus on races like this lauren thanks so much for joining us we're just about out of time folks let me know your comments questions concerns for lauren davis and if you're you have other candidates we'd like to know about you this is where we're going to put our efforts till tomorrow god bless you all and thank you for listening